Welcome to the markets. Orion Samuelson here with our weekly look at markets from Wall Street to feedlots to soybean fields. We cover it every week as quickly as we can because there is so much going on. But again, this week we have to look at COVID-19 and its impact on the stock market. Oh, and there was one other event today, Apple announced some fresh store closures against the anticipated stimulus and continued economic recovery. The S&P 500 ultimately settled in the red, along with the blue-chip Dow, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq closed nominally higher. One analyst, um, Matthew Keeter of the Keeter Group in Lenox, Massachusetts, said, You've got three dueling forces with Fed stimulus and the consumer spending again on one side and on the other side, the resurgence of COVID-19 in pockets of areas around the globe. And as uh, was said by the same analyst, he said there is a feeling that the Fed is acutely aware of what's going and will help where and when needed. But he said... Apple is the canary in the coal mine today with respect to other businesses. You'll start to see other businesses do similar things in some of the states where we're seeing the virus re-emerging. The S&P 500 and the Dow are now 8.5% and 12.5% shy of their respective all-time highs reached in February. The tech-heavy Nasdaq stands at one and a third percent below its last closing high, reached on June 10th after breaching that level earlier in the session today. But trading volume typically light on summer Fridays as investors head out for the weekend. But Friday also marked quadruple witching, in which futures and options expires occur, and that typically translates into elevated volume and liquidity. The S&P 500 is synchronizing its delayed rebalancing to take advantage of that liquidity today. And in a video conference today, U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell warned the economic recovery from the pandemic is set to be challenging and there will be no quick fix. So the Dow Industrial Average fell 208 points, or eight-tenths of a percent, ending today and the week at 25,871. The S&P 500 lost 17 points, that's about half a percent, to end the day at uh, 3,007. And the NASDAQ composite added three points, uh, three hundredths of a percent, to end the day and the week at 9,946. Of the 13, of the 11 sectors in the S&P 500, 10 lost ground with health care, the sole gainer. Airlines, hit particularly hard by the economic lockdowns, were down sharply with the S&P 1500 airline index falling a little over 4%. 
But then there is AMC Entertainment Holdings, the world's largest movie theater operator. It dipped 2% after its announcement that it would reopen theaters at about 450 locations in the United States next month. But that was tempered by the renewed shutdown concerns that people will have about going to events where there are a large number of people joining them. Uh, But the Apple announcement uh, today uh, not only impacted the U.S. market, but impacted the global markets as well. Demand for safe haven rose and global equity markets turned south today after Apple made the announcement. Treasury yields fell and the dollar rebounded from early losses as it posted its best weekly gain in a month. Gold rose more than 1% with futures settling above the technical barrier of $1,750 an ounce. And that's a breakout that should push bullion higher. Oil prices, well, they pulled back sharply from early highs on uh, concerns. The pandemic's continued spreading could temper the recovery. And Brent futures up 68 cents for the day to settle at $42.19 a barrel, while U.S. crude settled up 91 cents a barrel to end the week at $39.75 an ounce. So that's what's happened around the world and in the United States uh, this week. So what do we look for next week? Well, on Monday, the National Association of Realtors scheduled to release its existing home sales data, and home sales are expected to have declined 3% in May after dropping 17.8% in April. Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis President Neil Kashkari will participate in a virtual moderated question and answer session before the Minnesota chapter of women corporate directors. So then the rest of the week, what will we be seeing? Well, the U.S. Commerce Department scheduled to release its final reading of first quarter gross domestic product. That's scheduled for Thursday. The U.S. economy probably decreased at a 5% annualized rate in the first quarter. Data for initial jobless claims also due on Thursday, and jobless claims expected to have declined to one and a third million in the week ended June 20th. On the same day, the Commerce Department will release numbers showing overall orders for durable goods likely rebounded 10% in May, whereas they had declined 17.7% in April. Orders for durable goods, excluding the transport section, expected to have rebounded 2% in May, having declined 7.7% in April. Data scheduled to be released on Friday will likely show personal consumption expenditures, the price index, excluding the volatile food and energy components, remain flat in May. It had declined four-tenths of a percent in April. 
And other reports that are due out, the University of Michigan is scheduled to release its final consumer sentiment report on Friday, showing a reading, according to analysts, of 78.9 for June. And then on Tuesday, the Commerce Department will release its new home sales data, and analysts say it's likely to show sales went up 3.5% in May. In the IHS markets preliminary data for manufacturing, PMI, expected to come in at 47.8 in June. Some of the uh, other reports that the trade will be watching. Nike, like other apparel and footwear brands, expected to show a decline in fourth quarter revenue on Thursday as stores were closed and its wholesale business came to a standstill due to the, you guessed it, the pandemic. Investors, though, will focus on management's comments on its comeback as business restarts and where the company stands on achieving its long-term goal. Grocery retailer Albertsons Companies is set to price its U.S. initial public offering on Thursday with the company looking to sell stock worth up to one and a third billion dollars after its fortunes picked up during the coronavirus outbreak. The parent of grocery chains such as Safeway, Bonds, and Acme for years struggled to generate enough earnings growth to pursue an IPO that would allow its owners, including private equity firm Cerberus Capital Management, to cash out But the pandemic, there it is again, has fueled a boom in its business with the stay-at-home consumers buying more groceries and cooking more at home. Wednesday, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago uh, President Charles Evans scheduled to speak on the current economic conditions and monetary policy before, yes, another virtual event, the Corridor Business Journal Mid-Year Economic Review. And on the same day, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Bullard will speak on COVID-19 and the economy before the Greater Louisville Incorporated Metro Chamber of Commerce. Thursday, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta President Raphael Bostic will be speaking on Florida's economic relaunch, What is Next? Air Canada is scheduled to hold its virtual annual general meeting on Thursday. The carrier looks to buy Montreal Airline Transat, and as the broader aviation industry struggles to regain traffic amid, yes, the pandemic. Tuesday, Brazil's central bank will publish the minutes of the latest policy meeting, and on Thursday, Brazil's IPCA 15 Consumer Price Index for June, scheduled to be released. Thursday, Mexico's central bank scheduled to announce its benchmark interest rate, and Mexico's National Statistics Agency will release its jobless rate data for April. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, as far as reports. And as far as some of the uh, data from the government uh, services and from the federal bank governors next week, 
all of that taking place, and it's going to be a busy week. But the interesting thing is those meetings where the Federal Reserve Bank governors will be speaking, all of them are virtual. They're not with an audience in an auditorium. But then we've seen that go back and forth a great deal on everything from county fairs, state fairs, and FFA conventions, you name it, just about everything has been virtual using the technology available to us and keeping large groups from getting together in one place. Don't know how long we'll have to live with that, but uh, I look forward to the day when we actually have a meeting again. As a matter of fact, later on in the program, I am going to talk about one event that is not canceled or it is not postponed. So we'll talk about that right after we call on uh, our market reporter, Mike Pearson, to uh, sit down with Steve Georgie of Allendale to talk about the agricultural markets. That's all coming up when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation Foundation is here to help. Tell you what, weather definitely was a driving factor early this last week in the markets. We're joined today with Steve Georgie from Allendale to help us understand what could happen going forward. Steve, as you look out, is weather going to continue to be an issue? Issues or not, right now when you look at the weather scenario that we have, it actually is, you could almost argue that it is bearish up front. And so we do have good rains coming in. Are they going to materialize or are they not? You know, that's going to be the question. We know that moving forward in July, it's going to have to be, do we get rains in July? Do we get rains in August for beans? And so the extended forecasts that came out this past week, those models are showing that we are going to get warm in July. Um, And so will we get the rains now? That's going to be the key thing. So whether or not we can get a weather market is, is going to still be looked at ahead. But as we look at things right now up front, it's not exciting. It's not going to get the market to, to really strengthen. Well, let's talk a little bit about the potential for a weather market, because that has been on the minds of a lot of producers over this past week as we watched that expanding heat dome across the eastern Corn Belt. If a weather market develops, if that heat verifies in July, if that precipitation goes away, we're still looking at over 3 billion bushels, 3.5 yeah. billion bushels, some estimates, or 4 billion bushels of corn for carryout in 2020. Steve, what realistically are some top-end targets for growers if they're trying to make get some sales on the books here for new crop? Yeah, so the things in order to get... Seasonally, we should see some kind of a bounce in here, right? Mm-hmm. But when we look at things, and really, if we're going to break out a balance sheet, 3.3 billion carryout for corn, massive pile. But the big thing is, what's going to make that adjustment? We know acreage probably needs to get adjusted lower. Uh, where are we at as far as preventative plant, things like that. But the other side of it is going to be, in order to really cause a more of an effect, we're going to need to see that yield come down. So instead of a 177, 178 average yield, what kind of effect are we going to have? We know that there's been heat, dryness uh, out west. Uh, we know that there's <laughs> winds. Talk to anybody in Nebraska. But the big thing is, is that moving forward, can we start to see that yield down? Can we get that yield back closer to even a 170? Mm-hmm. 
172. That's going to make a bigger impact on the balance sheet than sitting here staring and trying to figure out where we're at as far as acreage. So it is important moving forward, especially from these price levels. Yeah. You can call $3 billion, but the thing is, though, is that as we adjust that yield, that is going to be extremely important because if we do get the rains and if we get everything else, the balance sheets certainly look bearish moving forward. They look bearish. I, we just need more demand. I mean, at the end of the day, if we could bring down the supply, that'd be super helpful. But really, coming out of this COVID thing, we need to see demand grow. When you look at the demand picture, and let's talk corn right off the bat, how are exports shaping up and how is ethanol shaping up here in 2020? You know, exports have been okay. We're meeting uh, USDA's pace right now. Um, so that's okay. But as you said, our number two use is ethanol. Well, when you go ahead and you crush that ethanol and you crush the demand for ethanol, can we see that return? And if so, that can adjust that balance sheet very quickly as well. And so as we look at things, ethanol has been improving. We've seen that start to pick up. We've seen good ethanol, de- better ethanol demand. But the big thing is, is, I guess, as we move forward, can we see some more demand for that in order to get this corn and, and work through this massive pile in which we're projecting? It's going to be a, a frustrating summer for a lot of growers weighing out all of these factors. Before we take a quick break here, Steve, what are your thoughts if a grower has to make some sales? Is this worth, worth reowning in this environment? You know, it, it is. Um, it is. And when you look at things from last year, right, everyone was talking we had to go to $5 corn. We were going to have uh, this shortage, whatever else it was. We almost have that opposite effect right now. If you do have to make those sales, can we find ways to reown it? Find ways to reown it on the board, reown it in paper, but it is important to make some sales as well. China, huge buyer recently. Are we making enough sales to get back on track to deal with this potentially large soybean crop? Our time to shine is right now, and we are. When you look at export sales specifically for the last this week, this past week, and the previous week, those are record sales for that week. Mm -hmm. So can this continue is really the question. We know that we've got plenty of beans on hand currently. But the question is going to be when we move into that new crop, right, as guys were expecting to see an increase on that the last USDA report, we were going to see uh, carryout numbers balloon and we were going to go higher. It didn't. We're now at $395 million. So what happens if we continue to have this demand? We are cheaper from the U.S. shipped than looking at what we can ship out of Brazil or Argentina. So it is our time to shine. So can we continue this? Can we keep our relationship with China, at least just status quo? Or will that change? And I think as we move forward, that's the big question. Now, as you take a look at the wheat market, we've also seen decent exports. Uh, you know, not great, but harvest is moving on. We've got a couple of factors the market's trying to balance right now. On the wheat side, what are you really keeping an eagle eye on? Yeah, you know, as we get through harvest, and you know, we were talking earlier that how does these yields look? And it's all over the board. And so as we get going and as we continue to think about this, you know, we are seeing some harvest pressure. That's fine. That's normal. That's what it is. But the big thing is moving forward, it needs to be stemmed from the demand side. What does that look like? How's this demand? Can we see this big carryout numbers we mentioned? Can we see that shift? Can we get some purchases? What's going to happen with Russia? And so when you start looking at all this, there's enough media stuff and media coverage uh, that can make a difference for the wheat market this year, but it's going to be stemmed with demand. It's going to be starting with demand, and, and I want to focus on wheat for just one more question here. We do have big global supplies of wheat. Yeah. When we're looking out for our global export markets in wheat, really, how much room do we have to increase exports given our carryouts? Uh, you know, and that's given our carryouts and given our price, right? When you look at the price, prices are relatively cheap. You've got to also look at our conversion with the dollar. Mm-hmm. Is the dollar, and, and there's two things that I think can trend very hard, one of which is the dollar, the other is 
those hogs. And so when they get there, when they get moving in a direction, they just keep moving. And so is that going to be enough where we can get our dollar to decline enough where we can start seeing goods and services, commodities in general, to find value again? And I think that's where we're at on a global perspective. There is a lot. But it doesn't take much in order to change that picture just a little bit to bring in a little bit more demand. Well, you mentioned the dollar has been on a slide. We're coming up on a five- or six-week slide now in the dollar, though we did find a little bit of bounce here this last week. We've also seen the pork market see very strong exports. Steve, (laughs) is that can that continue? You know, it's this when you when you look at that, it's very media driven. Where are we at with China? Phase one deal, right? All these hot button topics and all these things that are said. What does that look like moving forward? Can we see demand? As we look at the export sales, they were good. Can they be good for a second continuous week? We need to get the charts, the technical side of the hog market to start looking better as well. And so that demand needs to start building on itself and continue. But we also need to get the market a little bit more excited as well. Because as I mentioned, it trends very hard. When that trend is down, it's down. But when it goes back up again, it could go up pretty quick, too. Beef prices, before we let you go, Steve, yeah. we're going to see a change in sentiment in beef. See that move back to the upside. Man, I hope so. We've got a very sideways market right now. And this is something there's enough in that media that we talked about in order to keep us chopping around. And I think on the beef side right now, we need to see some kind of spark in order to get this excitement again. Is that in the cash side of things? Is that going to be on the demand side of things? We'll have to see. But we're very sideways right now. We'll wait and see. Steve Georgie from Allendale. Our thanks to Mike Pearson and to Steve Georgie of Allendale in McHenry, Illinois, for that discussion of what happened in the agricultural markets this past week. Now let me get back to uh, one of the announcements I received this week that was not a postponement or a cancellation. For more than 65 years, farmers have turned to the Farm Progress Show for the latest information about new products and tools and technology they can use to boost productivity and profit for their operations, and that tradition will continue for 2020. Uh, What attendees will find when they travel to Boone, Iowa for the Show is an important event modified to serve this essential industry in the very challenging time of the pandemic. But Matt Youngman, who is the special events manager for the Farm Progress Company, said, we know that the market is dealing with a lot of issues right now. But agriculture is a critical business for this country, and farmers are seeking ways to better get better at what they do, and nobody is that more possible than the Farm Progress Show. So September 1, 2, and 3 of this year, the Farm Progress Show will be held in Boone, Iowa. And on next week's The Markets program, I hope to have the special events director, Matt Youngman, join me to talk about how different the Farm Progress Show will be this year because of the regulations on how to deal with crowds, how to keep people separated. It's going to be an interesting challenge. So I hope that uh, Matt will have time to join us next week to talk about the Farm Progress Show that is scheduled for September 1, 2, and 3 in Boone, Iowa. There's another event coming up. You have to go to Billings, Montana 
who this week sent me a press release, and I quote, as we move towards the NILE version 2, here are some more details. We hope to provide you with a bit more clarity and hope that you will respect the decision made by the Nile board as all factors were discussed upon reaching the decisions that have been made. Instead of canceling or postponing, we have taken the time to modify the fall event in an honest attempt to be here for our exhibitors in one way or another in 2020. What a summer it's going to be as far as county fairs, state fairs, and events like Farm Progress Show and like the Nile Livestock Show. That's the Northern International Livestock Exposition that takes place uh, every year in Billings, Montana. So count on their doing that but a somewhat different version, I'm sure, than spectators have seen. But uh, the folks who put it all together are looking forward to doing a good show and uh, also to uh, do what they can to keep people safe. I do have to mention also, because I've talked so much about this during my career, I think we do far too many reports and studies, and I don't know who pays for all of them, but in light of what we've been going through this year, let me share this one with you. Following the fast spread of COVID-19 across Europe and North America in March of 2020, many people began stockpiling commodities, including toilet paper. Some companies reported an increase of up to 700% in toilet paper sales, despite calls from the government to refrain from panic buying. Now, this is a new study. I don't know who paid for it, but it's a new study that uh, they released internationally because 1,029 adults from 35 countries were recruited through social media to participate in this study. And it happened between March 23 and 29. The most robust predictor of toilet paper stockpiling was the perceived threat posed by the pandemic. People who felt more threatened tended to stockpile more toilet paper. Around 20% of this effect was also based on the personality factor of emotional uh, perceptions. People who generally tend to worry a lot and feel anxious are most likely to feel threatened and to stockpile toilet paper. I kept asking the question while all this was going on, did we not use toilet paper before the pandemic? Apparently we did, but we wanted to make sure we had more than enough. And I guess this should come as no surprise. Older people did more stockpiling than younger people did, and uh, the uh, percentages are quite different, really. So we older folks, I guess, bought and hoarded toilet paper uh, a lot more than our young people did. But as I said, I think we have too many studies, and I think... I don't know who pays for them, but that's what they sent me to talk about this one. 
So looking at the uh, markets as we ended this week with all of the pandemic influence going on on Wall Street to agriculture, the soybean futures gained today as U.S. trade talks with China continued invigorating hopes the top soybean importer would reach earlier export estimates. Wheat fell today as the U.S. winter wheat harvest progressed, while corn inched higher on some technical positioning. The most active soybean futures on the Board of Trade added three and a half cents to end at eight dollars seventy six and a half cents per bushel after reaching eight eighty and a half today. That's the highest price since April first. Wheat fell two and a quarter cents to four dollars eighty one and a quarter cents per bushel. That's up from four seventy six, the lowest since September twelfth. And the uh, corn market gained a penny and a half to close at three dollars thirty two and a half cents per bushel. So for the week, July wheat dropped four percent the biggest one week slump since the week ended may 15th july soybeans gained six tenths of a percent while july corn ended three quarters of a percent higher for the week talks this week between u.s and chinese officials uh, also looked at uh, the encouraging hopes that china would fulfill its obligations that were agreed on in phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement. Well, been quite a week, but it'll probably be even more of a week next week. We hope you'll be back to join us. Until then, I'm Orion Samuelson saying thank you for joining us on The Markets.